0: Please turn them in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30. Daniel 3, 1 through 30. You say, but John, I thought we were in 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, we are. I just want to take a couple of weeks to look at some examples of what a no-compromise life looks like because a no-compromise life is what's needed in these amazing times. And you say, wow, John's preaching 30 verses. Well, I'm preaching 24 next week. And then I'm probably basically just preaching a whole book of the Bible the week after that. So hope you're excited about all that. All right. Now please remember, Israel was once a united kingdom, right? One kingdom for a while. It wasn't long before the United Kingdom divided into two kingdoms with ten tribes to the north called Israel and two tribes to the south called Judah. Very sad times with the now divided kingdom. Israel to the north had 20 kings, and none of those kings were good or godly. And then in 710 BC, Assyria came and conquered them and deported them and gone. They're gone. Judah to the south had 20 kings. Some of them were good and godly, and most of them were bad. But it was around 600 BC that the Babylonians invaded Judah three times with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple during the third assault in 586 BC. So the Babylonians came in, they conquered, they took the wealthiest and most distinguished people of the land along with the most valuable treasures of the temple and they sent all of those people and things off to Babylonia. The prophet Jeremiah lived and prophesied during these times and the prophet Ezekiel was himself among these captives along with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were deported around 605 BC, not long before the eventual destruction of Jerusalem. What was it like for them living deported off into Babylon? Jeremiah states that while in exile, the Israelites were permitted to till the soil, to cultivate a family life, to even accumulate some wealth, which is all very good. That said, They're still exiles who have lost their homes, been degraded, and are now ruled by foreigners. And that lasted for 70 years. Daniel chapter 1 picks up in 605 BC with Daniel, or Belteshazzar, and his three friends from Judah having been newly exiled in Babylon. Babylon. His three friends were named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and those were their Jewish names. And the first thing that the Babylonians did was change their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, names which which are associated with the pagan gods of the Chaldeans who were Babylonians. See, this aim of the Babylonians was to brainwash these young men, and so they started by changing their names. They also wanted to change their beliefs, their convictions, and their values. They did that by putting them through Chaldean education. These were good looking, gifted, intelligent young men, about 14 or 15 years old. Mark that. About 14 or 15 years old. And the Babylonians wanted to indoctrinate them with their own culture so that they could be leaders someday who were trained in all wisdom and in all teaching. So they sought to educate them, or better, they sought to re-educate them. Finally, the Babylonians sought to change their lifestyle. And that would happen by exposing them to Chaldean food and drink and everything that went along with that. Note that the four young men accepted the name change because that was merely external. It's just a name change. They also accepted the education because they already had a solid foundation, a very solid foundation in the Word of God. However, they rejected the lifestyle change. Because if they had given in on that point, then they would have denied the word of God and they would have denied the identity that they bore as God's people. Why? Because the king's food was offered to idols before it was offered to be eaten. Secondly, the dietary laws forbade the Jews from not only eating certain foods, but it also, this is very important, it kept them separated from the pagan cultures around them. And then third. Eating and drinking was the major social event in those times, and it often included drunkenness, wildness, and a self-indulgence which would have been seriously dishonoring to the Lord God Almighty. So Daniel and his friends said no to this third issue, which could have gotten them into some very serious trouble. Why did they say no then? Here's why. Because it would have been a compromise of their faith, of their convictions, and of their values for them to do so. Well, under the sovereign hand of God, upon these four young teenage men, Daniel ended up interpreting the king's dream, and then he ended up getting promoted to becoming the ruler over the province of Babylon. And so he became the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And then his three friends got promoted over all the affairs of the province of Babylon, which is truly an amazing and remarkable turn of events. All right, now what? Here we go. Daniel chapter 3. Let's look. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace." So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now the first thing that we see as we look at this here is that Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. That's not good. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Chaldean dynasty of Babylonia, And Nebuchadnezzar is a very interesting character. Secular history portrays Nebuchadnezzar as a brutal, powerful, and very ambitious king. But the book of Daniel and Jeremiah shows us that he very well might have become a true believer in the living God. We don't know that for sure, but perhaps. But clearly, not yet. Clearly. Because here in chapter 3, we find that the king made this image of gold. The word for image reveals that it was probably his own image, and it was most likely made with wood, and then it was overlaid with gold, and it was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and incredible sight indeed. I mean, come on, a nine-story image of gold. It's very interesting, because back in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about an image, and Daniel, the man of God, interpreted that dream. The dream, the image in the dream had a gold head. It went down and had brass, and then it had silver, and then it had iron, and then it had iron and clay all mixed together. And the interpretation is that Nebuchadnezzar is that gold head. And it seems that even though Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged Daniel's God, I think this whole thing went to his head. I'm the head of gold. I'm above everyone. And I'm above everything. I am the head of gold. So in the next chapter, he built an image of gold, not just the head, but the whole thing. Well, this massive image was set in the plain of Dura, which was a flat plain just a few miles south of Babylon, because that way everyone could see the image for miles and miles and miles. Okay, now what? This. Everyone must worship the image. Now. If this was indeed an image of Nebuchadnezzar, which I believe that it was, and he's wanting the people to worship him, basically. He's wanting the people to deify him. If this wasn't his own image, but some other image, his aim is to unite all the people to worshiping and to serving his false gods, and in the end, it's clearly an abomination to the one true God. Look what he wants the people to do. He sets up this dedication ceremony to this idol, and he requires all the leaders in Babylon to come to this ceremony, which would have been thousands of people. What's his aim? For all those leaders to publicly acknowledge the, their absolute loyalty to the king by bowing down to this image. See, this will unify everyone together. This will prove, very important, it'll prove everyone's loyalty, and this will set him up as ruler overall. So all the leaders are there. The satraps were the top governors of the provinces in the Babylonian empire. The administrators, the governors, and the counselors were the rulers under the satraps. The judges were the chief arbitrators throughout the Babylonian empire. The treasurers were the masters of the treasury of the land. The magistrates were the minor judicial people who carried out justice. And then the officials of the provinces included all the other leaders in the land. So everyone of importance in the land was there, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And look, the king wants everyone's allegiance. We say, well, what about Daniel? Where was Daniel? Well, Daniel wasn't there. Why wasn't Daniel there? Well." Daniel was a ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and it's probably the case that he'd been sent away on some assignment by the king during this particular time. But his three friends are there. Look what happened. Everyone's gathered together on the plain of Dura. The image is set up, and then this herald comes forward. Hey, everyone, peoples, nations, and languages, which was a common way to address an assembly of people. When all the music plays, everyone must fall down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And if you don't fall down, and if you don't worship the image, you're going to be thrown in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. All righty then. Bow down or die. No middle ground here, right? There's, There's no third option here. No, two options. Bow down or die. Note that the furnace is there. It's, it's there. It's in front of everyone. It's all fired up, and it's hot, and, and the furnace is ready. The king is very serious. He, he's not playing, see, and anyone who doesn't bow down will face that fiery furnace immediately. Now, the music must have sounded amazing. Horn, flute, harp, lyre. I mean, that's, that had to have sounded beautiful, lyre was similar to a harp, psaltery, which was also much like a harp that was plucked, and it's all in symphony with all kinds of music. I mean, it must have sounded incredible that it would have served as a way to stir the people's emotions and to make it easy for the king to manipulate the people and to win their submission and to win their obedience. So the music begins and all at once, all the people fall down just like that. They all fall down, and they worship the image of gold. You see them all, all the, bowing down out there on that plain? The text literally reads that as soon as they were hearing the music, they were immediately falling down. I mean, this was immediate. There was total, instant obedience to Nebuchadnezzar's command. It's quite a scene. The people, the image, the music, and then at once, the bowing down of all these people seemingly seemingly because look there were three who didn't bow down three only three and while everyone else immediately fell down to the ground and had their faces in the dirt when that music sounded three men remained standing young men alone in a sea of thousands who were bowing And look, it seems that they didn't have time to conspire together about this either. I mean, the announcement was made and the music played and each of the three young men came to the same conclusion on their own. I can't bow down. And even if if my other two friends have a different conclusion, I will not bow down. I know what a relief and encouragement it must have been when they looked around and saw their other two friends standing up alongside with them. But even if the other two friends had bowed down, each of the three had conviction on their own to stand all by himself. But now, three young men filled with conviction, three young men filled with love for God, they are standing, and everyone else is bowing down. Why? Why? love for god right i mean that's why you stand right clearly it's love for god i mean god's word is clear exodus 20 verse 3 you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what's in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water or under the earth you shall not worship them or serve them why not because God alone, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, is the one and only true God, and He alone is worthy or deserving of our worship, He alone, and He's a jealous God. What does that mean? It means that God is rightly possessive of the worship and the service that belongs solely to Him. In fact, it's a sin to worship or serve anything other than the Lord God Almighty, the one true God. And so, out of love for God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remained standing. You know, they, they could have really rationalized this away, don't you think? When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do, they could have said, we will bow down physically, but in our hearts we will remain standing. They could have said that. Or else they could have said, we will bow down this one time knowing that it's wrong, but we're just going to ask God to forgive us later on, and it's all going to be okay. I mean, come on, everyone else is bowing down, and Hey, if we're killed, we can't be of any use for God. So wisdom says to bow down, to live another day, and then use those days to glorify God. I mean, that makes more sense, right? Wrong. 100% wrong. Because justifying sin and justifying compromise is never, ever right. And God puts us in places to stand strong and to glorify Him, not to dishonor Him. So, stop trying to rationalize your compromise if you're rationalizing your compromise. Stop rationalizing your cowardice if you are. Stop rationalizing your mediocrity if you are. No, stand up. Glorify God. And clearly, bowing down to this idol would have greatly, greatly dishonored God. See, we bow only to Him. <clears throat> only to Him. Note that there were only three people in that whole vast crowd who refused to bow down and that highlights the fact that standing up for God will often be a very lonely activity. But so be it, then be lonely. Then if you only have two friends that join you in standing, then wonderful. But if not, then Then stand alone. For him. And all the while, the furnace is blazing, and the smoke is rising out of it, and the three young men are still standing up. Let's find out what happened next. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain tattletales, (laughs) Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the hort, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Uh, There are certain Jews, just thought you'd want to know, whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, If you're ready at that time, at at the time you hear the sound of the harp, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good! But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. How dramatic is this? This is like... Real drama here. Here we find that second, certain Chaldeans tattled on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's a nice way to put it. Look what happened. The ceremony's over. Everyone's bowed down, or so it seems. I mean, there were a lot of people in the crowd that day. The king couldn't see everyone, not remotely. But he certainly it certainly looked like everyone had complied and, and worshipped the image that he had set up. And that's when some guys, certain Chaldeans, these Babylonians, they came forward and they accused, they brought charges against, literally they maliciously accused the three young Jewish men. They start out by saying, oh, king, live forever. That's a formal way of addressing royalty, but clearly they're buttering him up. Clearly they're they're playing to his pride, they're playing to his power and authority. Um king. You said that when the music plays that everyone has to bow down or be thrown into the fiery furnace, but we just thought you'd like to know there are certain Jews, sounds a bit anti-Semitic, pointing that out, (coughs) whom you said over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, king, they haven't paid due regard to you. No, they, they don't worship your God's they don't worship the gold image which you have set up. Just thought you'd want to know. Note that the three accusations against these young men are very interesting. One, they were showing no respect for the king, which wasn't true. That accusation wasn't true. Two, they refused to serve Nebuchadnezzar's idolatrous gods. That's absolutely 100% true. And three, they refused to worship the gold image again. Absolutely 100% true. Note that these tattletales or tailors are some bad guys. Because they know that the three Jewish young men are going to die for not bowing down, but still they tattled. Why? I believe jealousy, uh, cowardice, a bit of racism. I, I see that here. Perhaps they think that tattling will get them in good with the king. But either way, when the king hears the news, third, he immediately gets very, very angry. The text uses the words rage and fury to convey the degree of the king's anger. I mean, the king is going berserk here in his pride and in his ego. Bring them to me. Soon the three young men are brought before the king. Is it true? I mean, he can't really believe it. He can't fathom it. That these guys are willing to die a brutal death in a furnace of fire just to prove a point? He certainly doesn't understand their love for God or their conviction to honor their amazing God. Is it true? You don't bow down. You don't serve the pagan gods, which are no gods at all. You you don't worship the image that I've set up. Is that true? Come on, guys. I'll I'll give you one more chance. Bow down when you hear the music or else get thrown into that furnace that's blazing with fire right over there. And hey, who's the God who will deliver you? From my hands. Well, we know of one. (laughs) The one and only God. The one true God. The Lord of heaven and earth. The creator and sustainer of everything. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He can certainly deliver us from your hands. Easily. If he wants to. I mean, he says a word and a universe is created. He says another word and boom. A storm is still just like that. He is infinite and eternal he is without limit he is without end Look, the universe contains about 125 billion galaxies, with each galaxy containing hundreds of millions of stars, but God, the one true God, holds all that in the palm of His hand, and He can certainly deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of this. God's entire essence is at every moment of time present in its fullness, and every point of space throughout the entire universe, God is beyond any limitations like we are. He never had a beginning, and He will never have an end, and even though He governs us by time, and even though He numbers our days, He Himself is beyond and above time. That'll blow your mind. Look, He never learns anything new, and He never forgets anything that He currently knows, because He always knows everything. The one true God is infinite, eternal, independent, and perfect. He's magnificent, all-glorious, and all-powerful. And delivering three people from a fiery furnace is nothing for Him, if He wants to deliver them. So, There's certainly one God, the one true God, who's able to deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar's hands. And everything now has come to a head. The three young faithful men have already stood up when everyone else was bowing down, but now they're facing the king. And they have one more chance to get out of this predicament that they now find themselves in. Bow and live, or stand and be burned. It's real pressure here, right? Everything is right there before them. I mean, think about that. The the king is there, the furnace, the music, their friends, their, their haters, and all of it is devised to convince them to compromise. So they responded together, it seems. I mean, the three are in full agreement. There's no one doubting here. Oh, king... We don't have to answer you about this. In other words, there's nothing to say. We're guilty. We're guilty. Nothing's going to change our minds, but please know this, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. That much we know. We also know that He will deliver us out of your hand, but if not, we're not going to bow down to this image and worship anything other than the one true God. How amazing is that? What do they mean when they say, God will deliver us from your hand? They mean this that whatever happens to them, it will indeed mean their deliverance, whether they are delivered by life or whether they are delivered by death. See, if they get thrown into that furnace and God somehow miraculously frees them, God delivered them. Also, if they get thrown into that furnace and they burn to death and die, guess what? God delivered them. I mean, either way, they win. They either live and glorify God, or else they die and experience the ultimate deliverance and eternal glory. And these three young men knew this. God will deliver us from you, o Nebuchadnezzar, no matter what happens. We really can't lose. I mean, Right? I mean, yeah, we might feel some pain. Yes, but pain is temporary. So no matter what, we win when we stand strong for the Lord. And that's true. It's all good. <laughs> if I die, I go to heaven. If I live, I exalt the Lord. It's all good. But if not, I love those words. Don't you love those words? But if not, God can deliver us physically. We know that for a fact. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't presume to predict, to predict what the outcome would be in their case. They understood that since God is sovereign, then it was his choice whether he opted to be glorified in their deaths or through their dramatic deliverance. Either way, it didn't make a difference to them with their decision. See, they trusted God. So whether they were miraculously delivered or whether they were left to burn in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not compromise their commitment to their Lord, for God's glory and pleasure in them was more important than their own physical comfort and ease and even their own lives. So live or die, they are going to be faithful to their God. As John MacArthur says, God is just as good when he doesn't heal as when he does. God is just as loving when He doesn't provide all that we think we need as when He does. God is just as gracious, gracious when He says no as He is when He says yes. God is God, and God is to be uncompromisingly worshipped, and what He does is His business. With God, death is as good as life. He's right, and in fact, with God, death is better than life and we are called to trust him to not compromise and to stand strong hey what's more important your temporary comfort or the smile of god do you live for this life or do you live for the next this life is fading the next is forever what are you going to do one said men frown at you but you see God smiling on you, and so you are not moved. That's right, because God's glory is way, 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 way more important than man's temporary approval. Do you love Him? Anybody? Do you trust Him? Hey, He can indeed deliver you, but if not, do you still trust Him, and will you still remain faithful to Him? Whatever my God ordains is right. Even this fire... And our call is to trust Him and to walk into that fire for the glory of God and whatever happens, happens, but at least He didn't cower, at least He didn't wimp out when the rubber met the road. Look, the Christian life isn't for spiritual wimps. When you became a Christian, you entered a war and we are called to be bold in this war and we are called to fight well in this war. You may have heard it said, every man has a price. But that's not true. These three young 15-year-olds couldn't be bought for any price. And neither should we. Not when we have a God like we have His glory to pursue and eternal glory to soon experience. Let me make this clear. He, the Lord God Almighty, is worth standing up for, even when everyone else is bowing down, even if it means a fiery furnace. Why? Because nothing compares to Christ. Anybody? (laughs) The three young men could only look forward to what Christ would do for them, and they were filled with love. They were filled with conviction. Think about that. But we get to look back and we get to see things clearly as we see our bleeding Savior dying on a cross for us to rescue us. Nothing compares to Christ. Everything else is rubbish compared to Christ. Everything else is meaningless compared to Christ. Everything else is vanity compared to Christ. He alone saves. He alone forgives. He alone can cleanse you of your sinful stain that marks you up and that keeps you out of heaven. He alone can take you to glory by grace through saving faith in, 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 in Christ alone. Nothing, nothing, nothing compares to Christ. And these three young men knew it, even though they could only look forward to what he would do for them. Look, this world apart from Christ has nothing lasting to offer you. This world's joys are all fading and fleeting, this world's goods all rust and rot. They never, ever really satisfy. This world is miserable and empty. What this world has to offer leads to emptiness and vanity in the end because Christ alone is the only one who can truly satisfy. Money can't Fame can't, other people, even your spouse and your child can't, drugs and alcohol can't, sex can't, earthly goods can't, nothing can truly satisfy and fill the void except for Jesus Christ alone, who saves and forgives and gives us true purpose and true meaning and makes everything else seem meaningless because it is compared to Christ. Remember Solomon? In Ecclesiastes, Solomon had tried to find satisfaction through knowledge and wealth and material goods and the pleasure of music and art and women and houses and so many other earthly things. But look, none of those earthly things brought lasting fulfillment because they can't. He concluded that all is vanity. All is meaningless. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity, he said. Solomon observed that even if you have all these things, guess what? You live a few years and then you die So it's all futility. It's all a striving after the wind. And that's true. Apart from Christ, that's all true. It's like a a child chasing bubbles around. He grabs one and it bursts in his hand. He grabs another and it bursts in his hand. So is the mindset of those without the Lord. Vainly chasing bubbles around that burst. But Christ changes everything. And when you have Him, really have Him as Lord and, and Savior, well, standing up, And facing a fiery furnace is worth it because He's the one that you truly love. And He's the one that you are seeking to glorify with your fast and fading life. The key is to stay focused on Him and then to trust Him when the fire and the furnace is before you. Some of you are facing that. Don't give in. Christ is worth it. But if not look at John the Baptist. Just as an example, John the I mean Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, John the Baptist, Daniel, we're going to look at Daniel next week. These are great faithful no compromise people. John the Baptist. John had a calling from God, so he renounced himself and he lived for the Lord. He lived in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt. He was basically a wild man for the glory of God. John preached truth, and the truth he preached offended people at times. He, he called the, 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 the hypocrites a brood of vipers. He lived for the pleasure of God at all costs. And when it got him thrown into prison, he still didn't compromise. When Herod was living in sin, Herod, the one person who could free John, John spoke out against his sin. And when John lost his head for doing the will of God, that's the moment that John knew that it was all worth it as he passed from this life into the next into glory. Yeah, God, uh, jo- God could have freed John at any moment, but John wasn't going to compromise in order to be free. No, he was going to stay faithful and honor God no matter what, but if not. He's still going to stand up, he, but if not, he, he's still going to honor the Lord, even if, even if it means a, a furnace, and even if it means losing his head. But if not, that's what true faith is. It doesn't back down. It doesn't grow slack. It can't be bought. It can't be wooed by sin. It trusts even in the face of fire. Why? Because we love and cherish God more than anything else in this fading life he's worth it, see. I love him more than my sin. I love him more than my worldly pleasure. I I love him more than I love you or your approval. I love him above all else, so I'll live faithfully for him and I'll die faithfully for him because I love him, see. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. As one noted, they were ready to burn rather than to betray their God. Why? Because they had yielded their hearts to Him, which paved the way for them surrendering their physical bodies to Him for His purposes. That is the kind of conviction we need today. And that's the kind of conviction I hope we all have and will cultivate more in our lives. Result, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is a hot, hot fire. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, f- fell down, bound in the midst of the fiery, the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. In other words, he was different How awesome is this? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely furious. So much so that his face changed. Can you picture him? A bright red face, nostrils flaring, features distorted. He is fuming. One said the only thing hotter than his face was a superheated furnace. He then had the furnace heated seven times hotter than it was usually heated. How do you tell that? Well probably means that they made the fire as hot as they possibly could make the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were then tied up with all their flammable clothes on, and then they were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. That seems to indicate that there was probably a hole at the top of the furnace, and they were cast down into it. Note that the fire was so hot that the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire were consumed by the flames. So yeah, that's a hot fire. It's a hot fire. So the three men were thrown into the furnace. Can you imagine? I mean, try. What were they thinking as they were being, as they felt the heat as they were being cast down into that fire? Thoughts of heaven? Thoughts of glory? Excitement, maybe? Soon I'll be home! Can't wait! (laughs) Perhaps you're thinking, I could never be able to do what they did. I could never be able to endure such a test. Yes, you could. If you're a Christian, yes, you could. Because God lives in you, and His grace is sufficient. He will help you. He will walk with you through it. He will carry you through when you trust Him. But you've got to trust Him. And you can't doubt him. Look what happened. Nebuchadnezzar's sitting down. He's looking into that furnace from a comfortable distance, and he thinks his eyes are betraying him. He then rises up. Hey, 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 hey. Didn't we throw three men into the furnace? I see four men loose walking around in the midst of a fire, and they're not hurt. The, fourth, uh, the form of the fourth is like a son of God. That's very interesting. He sees four men, not three. Then he sees that they're not bound, but they're loosed. And then, look, they're not lying down, no, they're walking around. And then, they're not burned up, no, they're completely unharmed. And then, to top all that off, the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Translation, he's not an ordinary guy. There's something different about that fourth one. <laughs> Question, who's the fourth person? Some translations say Son of God, while others say a son of the gods. Clearly, this is something divine. We can't know for sure who this is. Some say that it's an angel and others say that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ called a Christophany. I believe it's clear, I think it's a Christophany by the way, it's clear that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord makes a number of appearances in the Old Testament and he is Christ himself before his incarnation and birth in Bethlehem. I think that's clear. When Hagar saw the angel of the Lord in Genesis 16, she believed she saw God himself. In Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord is equated with God and he's, as he's speaking to Abraham. In Genesis 31, the angel of the Lord speaks to Jacob and says, I am God. In Exodus 3, the angel of the Lord is clearly God who's speaking to Moses. In Numbers 22, the angel of the Lord who spoke to Balaam is God. In Judges 13, the angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's mother and father. In verse 22, Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die because we've seen God. We can go on and on, but I believe the point is clear. The angel, the angel of the Lord is is God, namely Christ, God the Son. Interesting to note that the appearances of the angel of the Lord, all of those appearances cease after the birth of Christ. So, while no man has ever seen God in the person of the Father, it must mean then that if God appeared to someone in human appearance in the Old Testament, it would be Jesus specifically, the second person of the Trinity, before his incarnation in Bethlehem. So, this fourth person was either Jesus or an angel, and he was sent to preserve them in the midst of that fire. What was that like? What are they doing? What were they talking about? Walking around in the fire. How amazing is this experience in the middle of that fiery furnace? Here's a question. Do you trust Him? I mean, do you really trust Him? You either die and go to heaven, or God delivers you in the fire. But He's with you either way. And it's all good for us either way. But please, don't compromise. Don't give in. No, you fight. Stand strong. Be bold. Trust Him. That's our call. And if you get burned, you get burned up and you go to heaven. How bad is that? Look what happened next. Six. Nebuchadnezzar responded, come out from the fire furnace. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Interesting. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. What, they had to climb out? Think about that. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. Think about that. They saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss uh, against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. (laughs) And their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there's no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. How good is this story? Can you you picture it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, you guys come out. You guys come here. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that the three young men serve the Most High God even before they're out of the furnace. This is what a no-compromise life does. See, it makes things clear. It makes things clear. It leaves people without questions. It draws the lines. It ensures that people don't have to wonder who and what you are. They're servants of the Most High God clearly. Clearly. And clarity is important. And these are serious times. And the last thing we should ever want is for people to wonder about us. Who are they? What do they stand for? Whose side are they on? Who do they represent? Who do they love? No. It should be clear. And the question is, is it clear with you? Your daily life will reveal that. The three men came out of the fire and everyone has clarity. Right? No burns, no smell of smoke, hair all intact, clothes still on their bodies. The fire had no power. See? Because God decided to deliver them, right? And all things are possible with God. What a testimony. Everyone sees, everyone knows, incredible. But if not, the testimony would have still been clear, right? God can deliver us, and if He does, cool, everyone will see it. But if not, everyone will still see our faith in full display, And everyone will still know that God is worth living for and God is worth dying for. Everyone will know that honoring God is worth facing the furnace for, see? Even if they had burned up. Note this. Just as the Lord delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire, so does Jesus deliver us from the wrath to come. Jesus went into the furnace of his father's wrath, and therefore the smell of the fire of hell will never pass upon those who believe in him. J.C. Ryle said it like this. The Lamb of God was scorched in the fire of God's wrath for you. Christ felt the wrath which he did not deserve that you might escape the wrath which you have deserved. And that's why he's worthy of going through the fires of this life for That's why he's worthy of us not compromising and bowing down when the pressure comes because he's worthy, see? So what are you going to do when the pressure comes? What are you going to do when the pressure comes to look at that thing that you shouldn't look at? What are you going to do when the pressure comes to say that thing that wouldn't honor God? What are you going to do when the pressure comes to indulge in that sin that is calling out your name? What are you gonna do when the pressure comes to cower and bow down instead of glorify God at work or at home? What are you gonna do when the pressure comes to sleep in when you know that you should get up and start praying? What are you gonna do when the pressure comes for you to waste your time away on trivial matters instead of redeeming the time for the glory of God? What are you gonna do when the pressure comes for you to denounce Christ and live or glorify Christ and die? What are you gonna do? Well, how we are in the little things often reveals how we will behave in the big things to come. Are you now compromising? Are you mediocre? Are you wishy-washy? Are you indulging in sin? Are you giving in to pressure to be like the world today? Well, bowing down is for spiritual cowards. Lord, help us to not be spiritual cowards here instead lord help us to be filled with love and faith in our great and mighty god who saved us from eternity in hell seventh nebuchadnezzar blessed god and promoted shadrach meshach and abednego so we find that the pagan idol worshiping king nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the, the supremacy of god how could he not i mean how could he not Look at what he then acknowledged about this God. He's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the God who sends a deliverer. He's the God of great power. He's the God worthy of trust. He's the God worthy of full surrender. He's the God who demands exclusive allegiance and who alone is worthy of that allegiance. He then made a decree and guaranteed the religious freedom of the Jews. So the faithfulness of these three teenagers brought freedom of religion for all the Jews in Babylon look, not compromising is always worth it, no matter what. And even if you have to die for not compromising, the no-compromise life pleases God, and what could be better than pleasing and glorifying God? See, Loving Him produces people who don't compromise. And your no-compromise life will show that your love for Him is real. Lord, help our love to be real here because He alone is worthy. Lord, help us to not bow down here. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be filled. Help this church to be filled with people who won't compromise their faith. Why? Because we are so filled with love for you. May our love for you overcome all the compromises going on around us. Compromise to sin, compromise to bow, compromise to give in, compromise to please people and so on. And help us to stand strong and to be bold in the little things and also when those big things come. Help us increase our faith, increase our love. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.